Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Well, hello, morning, everybody. Um, so my name's Tom. I'm uh, along with my wife, one of the pastors here. Um, and um, it's it's always a pleasure to teach and share and join together and worship together. But um, this morning, I want to just bring us into a um, a new kind of series of teaching. So we tend to teach in series um, rather than just fairly random stuff. Um, so this, this teaching series we're calling Open. And the whole premise of this teaching series is what does it look like to open our lives in meaningful, practical ways to the Lord? Um, you know, how do we open every area of our life that the, the Spirit might lead us and guide us and God's kingdom might come? And um, Over the coming weeks, we're going to explore a few areas in which we might have some challenges for us in this. Um, but this morning, I want to bring it close to home. In fact, I want to bring it really, really close to your home. I would like to talk about your home and my home and our homes. What does it look like for us to have an open home? Now, some of you might have been to an open house party, uh, which in it, if, you, if you're like me, you've been brought up in like this middle-class white British culture. That, you know, people will say, come any time between 12 and 8 p.m., I will arrive at 12 and leave at quarter to one. No, uh, I will stay for a while. <laughs> um, you know, the idea that we kind of open our houses and people just come in and out and make themselves at home and it's wonderful. And that's not a million miles from what we, we're talking about. Um, but actually, it's this underlying thing of what does it mean to bring ourselves to God and to bring our homes with us to Jesus as well? Now, I don't know how... It, how big your house is, how small your house is, whether it has three stories or one story or you're on the third story or it's a bit run down or it's nice and fancy. You've got one of those, you know, you can just talk to the wall and the heating sorts itself out or whether you're like me and you just press the boiler and hope something happens, you don't really know what's going on. Um, Whether your house is well-equipped with stuff or under-equipped, I don't know what your home is like, but... I do believe wholeheartedly that for the season you are in, the home that you have is exactly the home that the Lord would put you in. Acts 17, 26 26 says this. So this is Paul arguing with a bunch of Greek philosophers in Athens. He says this. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Think about that just for a minute. Before all of the things we see around us were even... Um, something we were aware of before the earth was formed, all this stuff, there is a sense that the Lord knew when, when in time you would be here and where you would be, and he is intentional in that. And from the place that you're in, when Jesus gives us, each one of us, the Great Commission, you know, go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, making disciples, teaching them to obey all I've commanded, all that stuff, that commission that we get given, He's giving that in the context of the place that we are now, each one of us. 
And the good news is he promises to be with us wherever we are right now. And I think this, this concept is, in one sense, it's easy for us to go, yes, I'm going to bring my home to the Lord. But in other ways, subtle ways, I think it's trickier. Um, if you have grown up in a, a mindset like mine, which if you trace it back is Greek, you have been taught to break your life down into little compartments. So you have your home life, you have your work life, you have, I don't know, family time, you have church commitments, you have football that you go to, maybe, um, exercise class, which you can tell I don't go to, uh, meal times, other things like that. All these different little compartments that we might break down. And the tricky thing for us is, in some ways, that's great and practical and helpful. In other ways, it makes it really easy for us to accidentally not bring a part of our life to God and include that when we come to him. And now, I don't think any of us would go, you know what, Lord, I bring everything, but you, you can't come into my house. I don't think any of us really would say that to God. But I wonder in what sort of ways, actually, that, you know, we talk about the sins that we do, but then... There is also the sins that are the things that we forget to do. They're called sins of omission, right? And actually, as Christians, hopefully, when you say you're a Christian, what you're saying is, I am a follower of Jesus. I look at Jesus and I try and do what he did. Our little vision thing as a church is that we would practice the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the Nen Valley, this kind of area that we live and work in. Meaning that we want to try and actively be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. To do that individually for ourselves, but to do it together because we need one another for that process. And actually the overflow of us becoming like Jesus should be that the world around us begins to look a little bit different. A little bit like the kingdom of God has come. And, um, and even as I was reflecting on this. If we are committed to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, but we chunk our lives into these compartments, which bits are we holding back from God? And home is an interesting one, isn't it? I don't know about you. There's, there's times I get home, I walk in the front door, I shut the front door, and it's like a little retreat, and I hide. I don't know if anyone else has this. And then I realize I have three kids and there is no hiding. <laughs> um, but there is that sense and that actually when I, when I shut the door, I shut the world out. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Actually, the reality is we do need retreat. Jesus practiced this pattern of going to re retreat and be with God and go out into the world. But I know for myself in the kind of British middle-class world that I was brought up in, um, one of the things that is built into that culture, which I don't think is of the kingdom of God, is this idea that an Englishman's home is his castle. I don't know if you've come across that phrase before. An Englishman's home is his castle. The tricky thing is when we accidentally make our castles also barriers for God. Because I think Jesus has plans for our homes. The challenge is, how do we open them up to him? 
But I think the plans they have are plans where people are loved and cared for and they're fed and maybe they're prayed with and maybe they might just see him as we open our homes. We, you know, the last few weeks we've reviewed like the last year and the year ahead and all that stuff. But one of the things that we talk about as a church is we want to be, um, if we want to effectively reach across this like Nen Valley, which is a huge area from like, well, people that come here from Earls Barton to Oundle and beyond, which is quite a big spread of area. Um, I am not going to be able to make a plan that engages all those people. The good news is that I don't have to. We use this this language of being like a constellation. So um, Jesus says things like basically shine brightly for him. You know, be like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Um, and when you look at like a constellation, I don't know how you get on with constellations. So there's one called the bear. I cannot see the bear, if I'm honest. It's just like a mess of stars, right? But people who are way more smart than me... Um, you know, if you look at the history of seafarers, they would look at the stars, they would see the constellations, they would be able to find their way home by what they see in the skies. And I think when you think about what a constellation is, it's a bunch of stars. Now, stars stars aren't just these little dots in the sky. When you get up close, um, they are like our sun, except our sun is a small one. Okay? And actually, each one of those stars has a unique kind of ecosystem of planets and moons and asteroid belts and other astrophysical sounding things that I don't really know. All kind of going around. And each one is unique. And I think as as we come together as a church, there is something in that for us that actually each one of us um, has been set where we are by the Lord uniquely. You know people that I don't know, vice versa. Your neighbours are not my neighbours and vice versa. The people you work with are not the people I work with. The people you go to the gym with are not the same people that go to the gym as me because I don't go to the gym as much as I should ever. Um, Each one of us has a unique call from God to engage with a unique bunch of people. And actually, our hope is that as we do this, we will be drawn together into the image of Jesus and people on the outside might look at us as a church, collectively, individually, however you want, and see Jesus and be drawn home to him. That actually we might lay, lay down our lives for Jesus and not just think, I'm going to come to church and the church will tell me what to do. That's not how it's going to work. Actually, our call is for each one of us to come to the Lord with everything that we have. And that includes our homes. So, when you look at where our homes are on a map, they are spread from Earls Barton to Oundle and beyond. And I think, and this is my hunch, that if we will learn to open our homes to the Lord, then those homes will become a refuge for the hurting and a place for the broken and the lonely to be heard. You know, we often we want all the exciting things of God, don't we? We want lots of people to be saved. We want all these healings. We want all this stuff. But if we want that, there is a bit of a cost to it. And actually, so I grew up in a, in a generation of, of church that was really, enthe- not bad things, these are not bad things, really enthusiastic about the gospel, really enthusiastic about signs and wonders and all that stuff. 
But when the kingdom of God comes, that stuff happens. But other things happen too. The lonely are put into families. Okay? Some things that kind of feel normalish to us are part of the kingdom too. People are heard and listened to. So what we're talking about in all this stuff is hospitality. Um, so in the spring, we did a little spiritual practice. So these practices are just to help us be formed into the image of Jesus somewhat. So we did a practice around silence, which is coming to prayer in God without our agenda and just listening to him. Over the summer, we read Philippians together. Um, and in the autumn, really, we'd love to just try and embrace and wrestle with hospitality as a spiritual practice. And it's interesting when you say hospitality as a spiritual practice, because for many of us, our imagination of hospitality is not spiritual, it's a physical thing. Does that make sense? Does that add up to people? When Jesus came to earth, he spent a considerable amount of time with people eating and drinking. To the point of the Pharisees stand up to him and basically say, you are eating and drinking too much with the wrong people. And actually, Jesus shows hospitality all the time. So there is an interesting dynamic in this hospitality. Jesus comes and basically, you know, he lives with his family for 30 years, and then he leaves that home and becomes this homeless, wandering rabbi who goes from home to home, has places to go most of the time. But actually, he still does hospitality. Because it's possible to go to somebody's house and be the host without being the host. I don't know if you've ever observed this at parties. There are people who, it's just a natural part of their gifting, just to look after people. So if you come to my house, you regularly, regularly I will just forget to offer you a cup of tea. And I am really sorry. Uh, or worse, I will offer you a cup of tea and then just not get around to making it. Uh, I am so sorry if that's, you had that experience with me. Um, it is not intentional. But sometimes people will just help themselves. Praise God for people who are just happy to make their own cup of tea. But when Jesus comes, he does things like he will wash the disciples' feet in someone else's home. He will break bread with them in somebody else's home. He feeds the 5,000. After he dies and rises again, he comes and he cooks fish so that his friend Peter might know that he is forgiven. All of this is hospitality. And even the language that Jesus uses um, is just covered in this kind of hospitality language. So, for example, John 14, 2 to 3, many of us will know this. It says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He's going to prepare a place for you to be. This is hospitality language. And when Jesus talks about our need of him, a lot of the language actually is around eating and drinking language. So John 6.35 as an example. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And even in the Old Testament, there is lots of hospitality going on. So go right back to the Garden of Eden. So when God makes heaven and earth, there is the Garden of Eden. And we are placed into the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden, have any of you been watching the Lord of the Rings series on TV? Oh, wow, really not many. Okay. Have any of you seen the Lord of the Rings films or read the books? 
because I'm going to make a weird Lord of the Rings reference right now. Okay. So the Garden of Eden is not like Mordor, which is like fiery lava land. For, and not like the floor is lava, fun lava land, like terrible, nobody will live there and survive land. The Garden of Eden is plentiful and welcoming to us and has all that humanity might need. And as the story goes on, um, God comes and gives the, uh, the law to the people of God. And in that law, I don't know, you know, what we often forget with the law. When you read it, you realize an awful lot of the law that's given is just about how we relate to one another well. That inside of the law, God is trying to build a society that reflects the coming new heaven and new earth. So Leviticus 19.33.34, for example, says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not ill-treat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God is really explicit. That we're not to shun people or push people to the fringes, even when they don't believe in what we believe in. He actually doesn't give you an out for if they're a difficult person to live with in this law. And anything that the Lord finishes by saying, I am the Lord your God, I go, yes, Lord. You know what I mean? That sounds, I don't know if it's a threat, but I don't want to find out what happens if I don't do it. Do you know what I mean? Does that? Psalm 23, 5 to 6 this is the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. We all know that bit. But at the end, it says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lots of hospitality language. Setting, preparing a table before you to feast. And filling your cup so much that it overflows. That there is a place in the house of the Lord for you. And all the way to Revelation, there's all this language about a wedding supper. So Revelation 19.9, the angel sends to me, said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Scripture is rich in this language of hospitality, of welcome, of food and drink. I read one scholar who basically went through the book of Luke and he basically said, if you read it right, all the things that Jesus does is in between him going from eating and drinking somewhere to going to the next place to eat and drink. It's so full of it in the Gospels. And it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of my home is my castle, it's my little retreat where I can basically just, I don't have to do the, the mission stuff of God in my house. I can do that at church or at Dr. Tut or whatever else is on. Or we might go, it's, it's definitely a space for the Lord, but it's a space that I pray, I read my Bible, um, these kind of private things that I do with the Lord. But when we come to Jesus and we give our lives to him, the condition he gives us is to follow him with everything all of our hearts, all of our minds, all our strength, all of our lives. All of it. Our table, the food in our cupboards, our meal plans, our meal preparation, all of it. 
And I think when we say yes to the gospel, I think the gospel might come with a house key. Which is not my quote. It is a book I would thoroughly recommend you reading. The gospel comes with a house key. But that might sound uncomfortable because it clashes with our cultural upbringing for many of us. But it's a wonderful thing. Just imagine with me that actually your home could be not just a place that you enjoy because you still get to enjoy it. You still get to watch a bit of Netflix. It's fine. I'm not saying you don't, you don't have space. But imagine also if your home was a place where strangers and lonely folks felt loved. They felt listened to and cared for. They have their needs met. And that beyond that, as we do that, the spirit might be at work and that people might see Jesus through our actions. Because could I be on in this country, certainly my generation are sick of hearing about Jesus and not seeing him. That our homes might be a place where people find family. That friendships might be reconciled and relationships put back together. That actually it might be a place of healing. That as we pray with people, they experience God breaking through. Imagine that that could happen in your home, around your dining table for a minute. If you don't have a dining table, the dining table is totally irrelevant on your sofa, lying on the floor, I mean, whatever you've got. Acts 17, here we go. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Jesus isn't waiting for you to fulfill the Great Commission when you've got the house that you want or to have more money to feed people and look after people. He just wants you to be available. And could I say this? If the Lord orders the meal around this stuff, he will provide everything you need to feed people. So if you're like us, our food budget is super tight. But we always have enough to scrape stuff together if we have to. And I think the, the difficulty, the last 30 years of the church have really focused on bringing people that don't know Jesus to this space on a Sunday morning. And Though there's been lots of good stuff within that, undoubtedly when you look at the statistics, that is something that does not work. Because the church is so in decline, it's beyond belief. But what if we stop bringing people to church and start being the church to them? And actually, in our homes, each day we might wake up and go, Okay, Lord, how can you use my home, use my life, use my, my journey to work, whatever it is, how can we, I use this for your glory and for your kingdom come? And maybe that sounds scary. You know, I've talked about things like praying for people. Maybe if you are honest, that's something that sounds a little bit out of your comfort zone. Uh, one of the books I read preparing for this is a book called The Simplest Way to Change the World. Again, a book I'd recommend to people. But the author, Dustin Willis, says this, grasping that hospitality is a meaningful way that we care for spiritually sick people is why we do this. No special degree is required. No seminary training is necessary, which is vicar school, uh, to be 
um, a friend who cares about people that God puts in your path. In fact, we, we really, you know, the temptation is to go away from this morning and hear that you've got to go and do lots more stuff. And I don't think that we do. The author carries on. One of the most ordinary things we do every day is eat a meal at our homes. We do this small act with intentionality, and this is his experience. We do this small act with intentionality and usually with other people, and we simply watch the Holy Spirit bring about the significance. Most of us will eat three meals a day of some sort. Some of us will eat more than that, smaller meals. Some of us will eat less. Some of us, if you're like me, will intend to eat three meals, uh, and you skip breakfast and have biscuits. All this is all stuff that we do as part of our routine. But I think if we will be available and invitational, I think we might find ourselves in the midst of what the Lord wants to do. Because the world around us is craving some radically ordinary hospitality. And I say, I say radical because our culture increasingly doesn't do hospitality. And I say ordinary because it doesn't take much. Our world is increasingly lonely and fractured and isolating and fear-filled. And actually, people want in- to meet real people with real lives. Now, we are Christians. We have real lives also. I don't know if you've noticed that rubbish stuff still happens to you. Unless, I don't know if when you guys came to Jesus, everything went perfect. That's not what happened to me. People are desperate for connection, but what they don't know is underlying all that need for connection, the one connection they really need is a connection with Jesus. And we know that. And, you know, it's difficult, isn't it, because our world is increasingly anti-Jesus, and I might make an argument, anti-Christian, I think people are less, less uncomfortable with Jesus. I think they're quite uncomfortable with us. But if we will love them and be with them, and listen to them, I think we'll see the Holy Spirit do wonderful things that we have prayed for for years, and the Holy Spirit has been waiting for us just to open the door of our home. So our hospitality will have a couple of focuses. One is toward each other, hospitality towards other Jesus followers. And this is important because it's easy to come to a church like ours and feel isolated. You could come into this room and hardly anybody speaks to you, and you can disappear until next Sunday or a week, three weeks on Sunday. And over the years, so often I've heard people, you know, when people say, oh, I'm going to go to a different church, why? Well, I didn't feel connected to people. And when you ask, well, what did you do to connect with people? Well, I didn't really do anything. That's a really common thing. So could I encourage you, if you are here and you feel lonely, just invite somebody around for a cup of tea. Don't leave the room today without trying Romans 15, 17, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And could I say, say this? If you offering somebody hospitality causes you stress, put less effort into it. If the idea of cooking a Sunday roast stresses you out, go to the co-op and buy a frozen pizza or two. 
Hospitality is not about how fancy it is. It's about the connection with one another. So we must practice hospitality towards one another. Loving one another, caring for one another. The reality is, it is not my job to do all of the caring for all of you. Because you will be bitterly disappointed and I will very quickly be on a beach somewhere hoping to never, ever come back again. (laughs) We need one another and we carry the pastoral burden together, right? I'm disappointed that when I say beach, I'm thinking like Skegness. I'm not going to get any further than that. That's fine. Um, I mean, it's nice that one day in August sometimes. Um, So hospitality we want to show to each other, but we also want to show hospitality towards others. Jesus, this is, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replies with this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Hebrews 13, 2, don't forget to show hospitality for strangers, for by, uh, by so doing, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That last little bit, I don't think is meant, you know, and I've had people do this. They, they're nice to people because they're waiting for an angel to show up at the door. If, if that's your takeaway, please understand. Whoever the Lord sends, show hospitality to and love them. They could be Jesus incarnate, but they're probably not. And actually, when you look at how the gospel has spread around the world, it hasn't spread by the Alpha Course alone. There's nothing wrong with the Alpha Course. But we only invented it in the 1980s. There is nothing wrong with standing on the street and sharing the gospel with people. If that is your gift, God bless you. I mean, genuinely, God bless you. As you can tell, I haven't got the voice for it, let alone the quick-thinking nature to answer all the questions that people have the gospel has spread for millennia from home to home from one home to the next to the next and our focus for the last 30 years is about trying to get people into a building for 90 minutes and i think people would rather be somewhere they can feel at home feel listened to cared for and maybe we pray for them maybe we feed them Maybe we meet practical needs. And I think it's, it's easy to hear me talk about hospitality and go, but we need to preach the gospel. And I say, yes, we do. Absolutely. But then I think about how few people I've led to the Lord the last, how old am I? 35 years. And I think it's because the methods we've been given, for a lot of us, are terrifying. When actually, when Jesus, Jesus does preach and teach, but he was also a rabbi, which means teacher. We're not all called to be teachers. Jesus also comes and eats with people and drinks with people. And for a lot of us, the other reality is the biggest blocker for us making new disciples is the lack of time we spend with people that don't know Jesus. And if that's you, 
And this can be me if I'm not careful. Then maybe the Lord is inviting you to be intentional about this practice of hospitality. Now, maybe I've said all this and you're, you're thinking through all sorts of practical things in your mind. So here are a few things I hope just help reassure you. Number one, our job isn't to save or heal anybody. Our job is to open our homes and our lives and be available, see what the Father is doing, and join him. If you're, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but you know, I've had this experience where I've tried to pray for some people before, and I you know, do the best prayer you have ever heard, and nothing happens. Other times, and this has happened, someone said, Could you, I've got a headache. And I was like, oh, I need to pray for you, don't I? And genuinely, I was like, oh, I just... And I just prayed this naff prayer. Oh, God, God, just uh, amen. My headache's gone. Oh, okay. It's not our job to heal people. It's not our job to have the good prayers, but to be available. If God's purpose in that moment is to heal them, he will do it whether you pray well or forget what you're saying or just panic because you know they don't know the Lord. We just need to love them, listen to them, encourage them. We might ask questions. We might offer to pray if that becomes apparent. You might open the scriptures together. Who knows what will happen? We don't need to worry about what will happen. We just need to worry about our, our heart and our attitude today. Number two, we don't have to do this alone. We're going to talk about groups at some point in the next couple of weeks, which we'll talk about this some more. But we don't have to do this alone. Interestingly, the thing over the millennia that has helped the gospel is the people outside the church observing how the church love one another and love the poor and the needy. Rarely does the, the outside world look at the church and go, wow, they're impressive. If we try and do entertainment here on a Sunday, I can guarantee there's somebody down the road doing a better job of entertainment than us. We don't have the budget for lights and flat. And hey, I am the one that's up here talking. I mean, if, talking about entertainment. I mean, you could have like Dick and Dom. Are they still a thing from Dick and Dom? Or Ant and Deck? Dick and Dom's? Anyway. Um, so we don't have to do this alone. Number three, your home is fine as it is. Your home is not too small. Maybe you live in a studio flat and you don't have room for a table. That is fine. Jesus model, actually, hospitality doesn't literally have to be in your home if you really can't manage it. There are now coffee shops everywhere you look. Or go to the park, I mean, not this time of year, but go to the park with a picnic. I mean, you can if you're brave. Like, if all your friends are outdoorsy people, I mean, whenever you want. If, but it, and this is a genuine one, right? If I'm saying all of this, if you do not own a dining table because you cannot afford one, come and talk to me because there are dining tables sat in people's garages. You can have one. Failing that, I will buy you a camping table. So literally, our home, we have a dining table. People come around to our house every Wednesday for food. We have two of the little fold-out camping tables. They're not ideal, but nobody's going to try and jump through them. It's not a, we're not having wrestling matches. We're just putting food on the table. They're fine. Number four, don't worry about mess. Hospitality is not cleaning your house. Okay? Some people like a clean house, some people don't. But you can't worry about that. 
If you can't clean in time, you can't clean in time. We're not about adding stress onto you here. <laughs> Interestingly, so uh, Christmas, we had a Christmas tree because that's what people do at Christmas. Uh, when we stopped using the Christmas tree, it sat in our front garden for three months. Matt came and did one, some work in our house. When was that? Was that March? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was sat, like, so out we have our, our little porch up some steps in the front door, and it was sat next to the porch. And I remember people coming going, oh, that makes me feel so much better. Honestly, it just helped. It helped people relax, which was for me was after the first couple of weeks. I was like, "I'm staying. Great. I don't need to go to the tip." Until Matt kindly took it for me. (laughs) But it actually the the state of our house is the state of our house. If you've got kids, um, good luck to you. Come and see our house. If you've got dogs, I mean, our dog is filthy. I just don't know what's wrong with him. We all have things. That, you know, you go on holiday, you come back, or you've moved house, you've still got 20 boxes you haven't unpacked. You know, all of it. None of it matters. People want to know the real you because they have real lives too with mess. Number five, cooking doesn't have to be hard. It is great to do food with people because it, it sits people down to talk together. And food is a bit of a leveller. Unless you cook me fish and mushrooms. And then it's really uncomfortable watching me try and eat this. Anyway. um, But there is a difference between hospitality and entertainment. So when I say cook for people, some of you think, like, come dine with me. Right? Which is fine. But the, the point of come dine with me is all about the host being the best host. Hospitality has nothing to do with us as hosts. It has everything to do with our ability just to relate and hear people. So if all you can do is beans on toast, do beans on toast. Nobody's getting a thousand pounds at the end of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, and honestly, so just to make a comparison, so some of you will have seen Condomini. Some of you will have seen the film Hook. And in that, there is a food fight scene with no food. I, I would rather, people will have more fun at that than come dine with me in your house. Because it's fun, it's relate. You know what I mean? Like, if you really have nothing, just pretend. I mean, <laughs> hospitality is our heart attitude. Number six is this: you have all that you need to know. So I've spoken to you know, and this is could I just say this? This is people like mine's fault, my my own fault. People who've been Christians for thirty years are terrified of doing things like leading small groups or having people around for dinner because they think they have to attain a level of theology or spiritual authority, whatever the the thing is. But Jesus doesn't ask us for any of those things. If I could make my most controversial statement ever, the early church didn't even have the Bible that we have. And yet, Jesus grew his church. All we need to do is come with open hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to help. And there are times where you will just, your prayer will be help, Lord. And that's, I would rather be in that place than thinking I've got it all sussed. Number seven, it might be a process. So this is where it can be awkward. If you've lived in your house for like 30 years and you've stopped talking to your neighbours, there might be a bit of a reconciliation to do. 
So for us, one of our little habits is every, the last three or four years, we've gone to Audi, we've found some biscuits in a nice looking tin that costs way less than you think it costs. And we go give those to our neighbours at Christmas. And it's, the response we get is amazing. You know, people come back with presents for our kids and all of it. And you get to know people's names and you chat to them. You might need to do things like that. Number eight, our, your kids can join in. So if you have kids and you know how well your kids don't behave when people come around, just let them join in this process. Other people, this might be news to you, other people have kids too. They know exactly what it's like. And in that process, your kids will learn what it is to show hospitality and the love of Jesus to others. For a lot of us, the difficulty in raising our kids is they don't see how we outwork our faith very often. Because they come here on a Sunday and then they go through there. And then we have small groups and they don't come to the small groups. You know, they just don't see our faith at work very often. Number nine is about people, not projects. So this is, we want to care for spiritually sick people and help them. But we want to do it well. Actually, if our only agenda is to get them to pray the prayer, people will catch on to that so fast. Don't do things like bait and switch, which if you don't know what I mean by that, like if you've ever gone to a friend's house and then halfway through they're like, would you like some Tupperware? Or some body shop thing. I'm going to try and give an oil, body shop. I don't really know what the body shop sells. Um, but you know in that instant you've been conned. You've gone for a cup of tea and you've walked away with hemp oil. Is that a thing? I don't know what. But the sa- we can do the same with the gospel. I just come around for a cup of tea. Or burn. You know, just be careful what you do and how you do it. Number 10, people might reject you, don't take it personally. Could I, could I change this to say people will reject you, don't take it personally? But do pray that God would open the right doors. I suspect many of us will hear, you know, we talk all the time about everybody gets to play. And that isn't just Sunday mornings. That is this stuff that we're talking about. You, all of us in this room have access to the same Holy Spirit. That's the promise of Scripture. What does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say, go away and let a couple of you be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, no, just go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And some of us will hear everyone gets to play, and you'll think in your head you're thinking, that sounds great for everybody else. But you don't know how little I know, or how little I know the Scriptures, or that sin issue, or that sin issue. If that's you, just be encouraged. We all have those doubts and sin issues and stuff going on in our lives. That's why we need the grace of Jesus. Don't discount yourself. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the challenge for us is to embrace the spiritual practice of hospitality. A couple of practical things then. Who can you invite for food? This week, maybe it's a neighbour or a colleague. Who do you need to go and build a bridge with? Um, Could I say this? Halloween is coming up. I know we don't talk about Halloween in the church. But your neighbours will literally be coming and knocking on your door. How can you build a bridge to relate to them? And that is tricky. 
because we can look like we're affirming all the stuff, but that's just not necessarily true. How could, so our, one of the things our small group is talking about, pitching up outside somebody's house with a little camping cooker and just giving away hot dogs. Because I understand we might not want to give away sweets and look like we're just doing what everybody else does, but we want to do something that does engage people and we chat to them. If you don't know anybody on your street, how might you go and start doing that? How might you pray for that? And for some of you, it's that you, the first issue is you feel lonely in the church. And my challenge to you today is go and ask a few people to, until somebody says yes, do you want to come over for a cup of tea? Or if you live a long way away, go to McDonald's because that's open and they serve coffee that's cheap. Uh, and all right, tasting-ish. Good. Excellent. Good. I'm glad. Um, but I would love us just to make a response. I don't know the response you're going to make in your heart, the way you're going to walk away from this, but could I just encourage you to stand? And I'm going to get you to do something that maybe feels a little bit weird if you're willing to take the challenge. You know that, that phrase I use, the gospel comes with a house key. Um, if just as we, we just want to wait for the Holy Spirit and see what the Holy Spirit might do, but Could I encourage, just as we pray, if you've got your house keys on you, just to hold them in your hand. If, if, if you want to say to God, okay, God, here is my home as well. And just wait. And some of you will be like, that's weird. I know it's weird. But God gave us, gave us the home that we had, ultimately. So Holy Spirit, you, for whatever reason, um, you would use people like us. And Lord, you know exactly where we are and why we are where we are. Even when we have questions, you know why we're here. So Holy Spirit, just for, for those of us who have held stuff back from you, would you forgive us? But Lord, would you take these, this little offering of our homes and use it for your glory? Would our homes just become beacons of your hope and your presence in our streets? Would you give us the courage to invite people? Holy Spirit, would you come? Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.